Hey team, this is Grant David Collins and welcome to Basement Philanthropy, a place for people who do not want to wait until they're rich or retired to create meaning, impact, and connection with their money regardless of the amount. On this episode, we get the absolute privilege to talk to my friend, Laurel Farr, about her experience in microphilanthropy. So let's get started. I first met Laurel about two years ago on a networking call. This call was set up through LinkedIn of all places. Yes, it can be a means to create real legitimate, impactful connections if you do it right. And we were on the call to talk about remote work. Now, what you wouldn't know about Laurel is that she is one of the world's top authorities on the remote work space. And professionally, I'm involved with people operations and specifically on the remote side of things. And so we had come together to talk about this space. I was a little bit nervous, to be honest, when I jumped on the call. But within minutes, that uh, nervousness was just dispelled and it has evolved. Our friendship has evolved into something that makes a big difference in my life, both professionally and personally. When I was first starting to get into what I'm doing with Basement Philanthropy, I decided to talk to Laurel about what I was doing. And I quickly came to understand that she had more than just an ideological understanding of microphilanthropy, that she was actively involved with it in her life. And and so she has been somebody that I've gone back and forth with a lot about what I'm doing um, with Basement Philanthropy. And so to be able to sit down with her and talk about this subject that her and I both have a, a love and a passion for was just a phenomenal experience. And you might have noticed this that this podcast is a little bit longer than the other ones that I put out. And that's because I really couldn't cut out a lot of things as I listened to it after we got done with our conversation. It was just so focused and so pointed around this discussion of the impact that you can have as a giver if you are a receiver. So I'm I'm just thrilled to be able to share it with you and you're gonna mind a ton of incredible gold out of this conversation. I, I promise you that. So let's get into it. So tell me do you do you do you have any um any memory of giving growing up from a philanthropic or like a monetary um side of the equation and we can talk about things from like a time or volunteer perspective but just off the top of your head can you remember any of that growing up in your home absolutely i think i was very much raised in a very service oriented family and so I definitely remember my mother and my grandmother, you know, always sending meals to people and being aware of people that were in need and saying, how can I help? And, and we're also very proactive people in my family where we, you know, we're doers. And yeah. so that was also part of the equation of like, you hear of a need and then you do something. That's how you react. Um, so yes, absolutely. In a lot of our activities and just in a lot of um, the way that we spent time together as a family was helping others. Um, but I would even say that the more 
uh, formative time of being a service oriented person was being on the receiving end. Um, my mom has been through breast cancer three times. And the first time she was diagnosed was when I was only eight years old. And so that was a very, very poignant memory for me of our community serving us in very, very meaningful ways that we didn't really think about. We didn't, you know, you would never think to ask somebody to, do my hair when I was little you know I was eight years old I couldn't really do my hair by myself but my mom couldn't do it for me because she was sick in bed and so I would go over to my neighbor's house every single day and she would do my hair before school and it was just one of those things that you know you remember people bringing meals and you remember you see all of these people serving your family and you think well I, I can do I can participate too and at such a young age it was a really powerful formative time in my life and so yes being a service oriented person has always been a part of my identity and and has been very empathetically driven because I know what it's like to be on the receiving end and so I I like to create those experiences for other people it's definitely I would say my primary love language yeah wow that's that's beautiful like I, I don't know if there's another word that I could use to describe the situation that you just described with you going over to your neighbor's house to have your hair done every single morning. Mm-hmm. That's that that is that's pretty incredible. What um when you think back on the experiences happened um since as far as that particular situation with your mom and breast cancer, um uh, it probably happened in time blocks in your life like you were really young and then maybe a little bit older um how did that change for you like did you notice things that were different in terms of the way that people were interacting or how you experienced the giving as you went through some of these different times um with kind of this recurring thing that was happening in your family Mm -hmm. I think the common theme through all of it has been to work with what you have um Again, going back to the first time that my mom was sick, uh, we didn't know if she was going to survive or not. And and what her favorite sound on earth is to hear crunching leaves. And so I was little and I was walking home from school one day and I collected a whole bunch of leaves knowing that she wasn't well enough to go outside and crunch the leaves. And so I put them all on the front porch and then I went inside and took her out of bed and, and had her stomp on the leaves on the front porch. Um, and, you know, it was totally free, but it was very meaningful. And I think that I've tried to do that in an evolutionary way over time. Um, you know, there were times when I was a young college student and a young newlywed that I did not have enough money to barely feed my own family. And so when that go-to of like, oh, I'm going to take a, a meal to somebody else in need, like I didn't have the resources to do that. And so that's when I started thinking about, well, what can I do? What do I feel comfortable with? I also have social anxiety. And so often like, you know, babysitting for people or doing things that are more go-to and classic traditional ways of serving weren't always comfortable or possible for me. And so I think that that's something that I've tried to keep as a common theme, but also has evolved based on my stage of life of like, well, I may not be able to do this, But what is something that I can do that is within my resources, is within in my time, is within a a comfortable space for me? And I think that that has really pushed me into thinking about service much more 
creatively, but also much more personally. I find that I have to think a lot more intentionally about seeing people for who they are and how they work and and discovering what ways would be the most valuable and meaningful to them. Yeah. There's such a interesting self-awareness that you are bringing to the conversation, Laurel. I don't know if you know that, but I have these conversations all the time and there is quite a journey that people go on to get to a point where they actively are involved with giving. And what I'm noticing from your experience is it sounds like you being served in such an impactful way when you were young and kind of formative um, almost gave you this head start in that part of your life that allows you to think as a receiver instead of a giver. Mm, There's such a difference between those because if you think of as a giver, you often try to recreate something so that you feel good. It's all, it's all about you. And there's, there's a, there's a space for that as far as when people are just getting involved with it. Like sometimes there's a journey that accompanies that, but it sounds like from your experience, you almost skip that or experience that at a much younger age. And so instead of just thinking about like, oh, how am I going to feel better because of this? Like, it sounds like you're actually getting outside of yourself or you're able to get outside yourself to be able to see the actual need or to feel comfortable being involved with people and discovering that because of Mm -hmm. what happened when you were when you were younger. I agree. And through all seasons of life, right? Like there have been so many seasons in my life that I have needed to receive and there are times to give. And I think the the more that I embrace that, um, that it's not like, oh, I am a privileged person and so I'm always going to be the giver or I'm a needy person. I'm always going to be receiving. The sooner I came to terms with the fact that there will always be seasons or even you know, those seasons may not even be phases of life, but even micro moments in your day that you need to be a giver and you need to be a receiver and it becomes yeah. a beautiful cycle. I think that that's creates a more healthy relationship with service in general. And I think that that's something that I'm very known for now as a friend is I, um, I really create a space for other people to say yes. And it kind of (laughs) comes across in an aggressive way because what (laughs) bothers me (laughs) is when people are like, okay, well, let me know what I can do or how can I help? And that's a big question. And it's always going to get a big or non-answer, right? So I'm the person that comes in and says, what do you need? I'm not asking if, I'm asking how. And yeah. if they don't have an answer, then I will make proposals. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Which one would you like? And so it, I don't really give people an opportunity to say no, which as I'm hearing myself say it out loud, I'm like, oh, that's not a very gentle or kind thing to do. But I think as a society, we've just gotten so conditioned, especially I will say women, to say yeah. no. I'm okay. I'm fine. Even if you're not fine and you desperately need help. So I really like to push people into that space of what it feels like to receive so that they can then pay it forward in the future. Totally. And I feel like the extent that you can push depends on your relationship that you have with that individual. Like if you just meet somebody on the street and um, you just like start going after them as far as like giving, it's probably going to be a different experience to somebody that you know fairly well. And it's like, no, like, Hey, I'm really here to help. Like, Mm -hmm. how does this, how does this, how does this happen? 
Um, I also wanted to comment on what you talked about as far as the give and take of giving. I feel like something that we can do a better job as um, in a society and where we actually learn a lot about giving is by receiving and mm -hmm. being open to that. It seems like a, like a weird thing. If we're talking about giving, why would we ever like talk about the reciprocal, which is the receiving, but just like you, you talked about at the beginning, I think this is such a great theme for us to address in this discussion. Um, as you receive, you start to understand what it feels like to receive. And it's not fun most of the time. Mm -hmm. It's not like a hunky-dory unicorn story that like everybody sees on Instagram or on social media when somebody receives. It's like, oh, this is the best day of my life. Most of the time, it's the worst day of somebody's life that they're receiving something. And if we come into it like, I'm going to make this situation so much better or X, Y, Z, like we are awfully, we are oftentimes going to do more harm than good because we're missing that whole context on the other end. And, and I just think that that can be disastrous. And mm -hmm. when we open ourselves up to receive and to have help, it just allows us to say, how does this actually feel to get help? And mm -hmm. how do I do this in a way that's a little bit more human um, mm -hmm. and, and less about me? You know, I think it, when we're in those moments, I think it's really important to model the behavior that we want them to feel, right? Like if we don't want them to feel embarrassed or awkward, we have to go out of our way and be very intentional about creating a very non-embarrassed, non-awkward situation, right? And so that we create the tone of the experience for them. Yeah. Um, so if we're awkward about our service, then it's then they're going to feel awkward. But if we're just casual and fun and inclusive and comforting, then they're going to feel that as well. So I think that the service that we provide to other people and the philanthropy that we provide to people is not just about the donation or not just about the activity. It's also about the psychology of it. What yeah. can we give to them emotionally and mentally as well to ease the burden of this stressful situation? Yeah. Oh man. Well, I want to jump into some specifics to maybe explore that a little bit more of what yeah. you talked about. So tell me, I know that you're involved with a lot of different things um, in your community and in your professional life. Tell me about maybe some uh, things that you've been involved with recently um, that we could dig into and kind of talk about some of these things that we've already um, brought up. Hmm. You know, I'm very much in an exploratory phase right now, um, just having fun with learning and practicing how to implement this this. Um, you know, psychology and, and this philosophy of micro philanthropy in my life. Yeah. And so I'm just experimenting with a lot of different things. So what I do is I have a, um, a budget every month that that budget just goes into a separate card, uh, a separate debit card. And then that account is what I use for um, philanthropy projects. Okay. And my only rule of thumb or my only rule in general is does this brighten people's lives. 
mm. in some way. Um, I think in the beginning, I felt like it needed to be very meaningful. Like people had to be at the bottom of the barrel, like we were talking about earlier, that right. they had to be having a terrible day. And I was like, no, like this can be something that just lifts somebody and they yeah. might be having a great day. And it just is something that helps people feel seen and remembered and appreciated and lifted. Yeah, cool. Um, and so it's been a whole bunch of different things. Like just a couple of days ago, um, I, there was a woman standing outside of Walmart. She was selling flowers, you know, maybe for a dollar or two each. And so I just, as I went into Walmart, I picked up my stuff. I also grabbed a gift card on the way out um, while I was checking out and just dropped it off to her as I was leaving. Just little tiny little things like that. Um, I also, you know, I was cleaning out a closet, uh, yesterday and I had all of these linens. And so I dropped them off at a homeless shelter instead of dropping them off at Goodwill and just uh, little tiny things. I think it's like incorporating what your daily life already is and just looking for ways to say yes more often yeah. and to be more generous and empathetic in your day-to-day -day life already. Yeah, I you're such a you're such a wonderful person, Laurel. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and the reason reason I, I say that is um it's it 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 may come across as not a big deal to drop something off at a homeless shelter instead of Goodwill. Mm -hmm. Just to be clear, there's nothing wrong with dropping things off at, at Goodwill, but it takes an experience and a um just an aptitude for this work to understand why that's such an interesting nuance. So why don't you tell the audience why you made that decision? I'm curious on your end. I, I kind of have a, a feeling around why you might have done that, but tell me a little bit more about that. Um, so they're used linens and, you know, we live in an era of COVID. And so I was thinking that uh, Goodwill would probably throw them out or right. if somebody were to get them or, or like if they were to be put out on the floor, somebody would see them and be like, oh, this isn't good enough to buy. And eventually it might end up in the trash. And so I was like, well, these are, they're in good condition and they're clean. Um, I just want to make sure that they're used, that they fulfill a purpose. And so I thought about other opportunities where they definitely would be accepted. My first thought was a women's shelter, but I went to the um, websites of the local shelters and they have more strict rules about how incoming linens have to be new. And so I, I looked up alternatives that accepted used linens and, and that's where I found the homeless shelter. And how long did that take you like to go through that kind of research process? Maybe five or 10 minutes. You know, it's just some Google searching. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's, that's the beautiful thing about the experience that you are having in this. You've likely given to Goodwill before. Or you've had some sort of experience that has informed you that, oh man, if I do this, like it's, mm -hmm. they're going to be thrown away or XYZ is probably going to happen. And so I can do this. And that makes it so it, they can actually be used. Another thing is that these shelters, they either have to go out and buy those things or they depend on donations. And so Goodwill is, is great, but at the same time, like you are, you're, you're putting a little bit of a barrier in between your giving and yeah. that barrier is, okay, they have to be processed. Goodwill has to pay its employees and all these things aren't bad. You're just slowly that value is kind of being drained a little bit. Whereas yeah. if you are close, like what you just described, like, yeah, those linens, they're going to be used. And that's what you want to have happen. And there's such a small barrier that yeah. place. 
And that's what people don't understand as far as when they start to get involved in this work. You're just displaying so beautifully how that starts to compound into actual impact happening. Mm -hmm. Because you're yeah. learning, you're understanding, you're doing a little bit of research, and all of a sudden, linens that were going to be thrown in the trash all of a sudden are able to be used at a homeless shelter that accepts them. Like it's it's such a little thing, but it's mm -hmm. such a huge thing too from a from a giving standpoint. Yeah. And I think it's momentum too, right? Like I wouldn't have thought about those things that you're talking about back when I first had my first apartment, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have had the experience um, in order to inform that decision-making, but over time, all of that experience compounds and you gain that momentum to be able to make more um, valuable decisions, but with less effort. Yeah. Uh, it's just becomes more automatic and organic in your way of thinking. Yeah. And what I've noticed on my end is it just, it almost permeates every area of my life now. Mm -hmm. And it's not even in a way that's like overwhelming um, because I haven't, I, I don't think I've made the label on my end. Like I'm going to judge myself if I decide to not do something. Um, yeah. It's just, I, it, I just am starting to see the options and yes. then I'll just be like, okay, yeah, this works for me today. Or no, this doesn't work for me today. Um, and sometimes I'll push against that a little bit and be like, well, that's okay. We can still give today, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I just am seeing them in every facet of my life. And it's just a weird, it's just a weird pair of glasses to start putting on, but it is, it is such a wonderful, meaningful way to start to approach everything that you're doing, um, from the books that you read to the animals that you have at home, to the sheets on your bed, like all of these like random things that you don't think could have value in giving when you start to work through this experience, you're starting to see where mm -hmm. that can plug in everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And it comes from building that habit of looking for opportunities, but not only looking, but then building the habit of um, recording when you do see an, an activity, right? Not just like having the thought because the thought eventually will go away, yeah. but, but capturing that moment and saying, Oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to save that. And I'm going to document and reinforce that I had that thought so that I can more easily recognize them again in the future. And then after that, then you can learn how to filter opportunities. Like you were saying, yeah. I always think of my grandmother who saved all of the plastic bags from grocery stores and would crochet them into uh, reusable bags for women in Africa. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, first of all, yes, that's the legacy that I come from. So yeah. it's, <laughs> I had some amazing, um, modeling to follow. However, I would start to feel guilty whenever I had, you know, I recycled my, my <laughs> plastic bags and I was like, hang on, I can't feel guilty about recycling my plastic bags. Like this is not a bad thing. She has time for that. You know, she was 85 at the time and homebound. Like she had plenty of yeah. time to do that. I don't. And that's okay. I can serve in my way. She can serve in her ways. And so, yeah, making it more personal about what are the ways that I feel motivated? What resources do I have around me? Um, what excites me? What do I feel passionate about? What kind of people do I want to connect with? Like making it personal in your sphere of influence, I think is really important. Yeah. And not comparing to other people. Yeah, it's it's so true. We we often have, I run through this in a lot of areas of my life, not just in giving, where 
I have an idea and I'll be like, it's got to be perfect. And when yeah. I go out and do it, like I have to have this perfect scenario. I have to have the perfect organization or whatever it might be. And thankfully over the last couple of years, I've, I've been able to start to make progress in that area. It's where I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to start this out. I'm going to see where it takes me. And then I'll just use my critical thinking to move forward from there. And the same thing happens um, with, with our giving. And that's when the skill set starts to be built and and developed well would you tell me um why you decided to start putting money aside to giving to, yeah. to be involved with that like that seems like a very intentional thing that you did where does that come from you know so what's ironic is that it used to be not intentional and now it is and so where that comes from is that i was raised religiously and yeah. in that particular sect we would um donate tithing or collections and so i grew up always reserving a certain percentage of my income for that religious donation yeah. and so where actually this micro philanthropy came from is that i had never really uh, appreciated that. Um, I, I had always done it because it was what we were supposed to do, but I never really had any mental, emotional, or spiritual connection to it. And so I hit this point maybe three years ago that I was like, I that's a lot of money. Like, I want that money to do good. And I saw some people in my community that needed some money. They needed, I mean, their heat was being turned off. And yeah. so I said, well, here's, um, you know, I donate all of this money to, um, to my church so that we can help people in the community. So you should go talk to them. And they were denied. And I was like, wait a second, I've been donating all of this money for all of these years to make a difference to people that I love and in my community. And it's not being used for the ways that I hope it would be used. Yeah. Um, and so instead that month, I just transferred the money that I would have donated to the church, to that family. And it made such a difference. Mm -hmm. And I felt so in amazing to be able to help people that I love in that way. And so I thought, oh, maybe instead of donating to an organization, I'll just start doing this on an individual level for a little while and just see what happens. And it was absolutely life-changing for me to be able to impact people's lives so significantly. Um, not only did I watch, um, I mean, speaking of religious, like I watched miracles happen. So not only did I see that happening, but I changed as well. So because I was doing this and, and using this money so much more empathetically and, and, um, and more philanthropically, I changed as an individual. I wasn't just, you know, sending this money away and writing a check every month and I never saw it again or thought about it again. Instead, it was changing who I am fundamentally, especially generously. I have become so much more of a generous person. It blows me away. I feel like a completely different individual because I just give so openly and so um, without any judgment of like, well, do you need this money or what are you going to do yeah. with this or anything like that doesn't happen anymore. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much I did do that before, but now I just give and I just hope that it enriches their day and I move on. Yeah. I have this episode in the podcast called stop outsourcing your philanthropy. Mm, and, yes. uh, and it's not what it's not is 
we should cut off all donations to all, all organizations and we should just all be our own little philanthropic islands. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am suggesting in that, in that podcast is that if you're going to really understand giving, you've got to be close to that giving. Yeah. And so pulling some of the money aside that we would normally donate to a large organization, whatever that is, whether that's a church or a nonprofit or whatever it is, mm-hmm. doing something in our sphere of influence allows us to start having the experiences that you've just talked about. The other thing I was thinking about is there is another way to do that as well. And that is to follow the money tree, meaning hey, if you're going to donate to a nonprofit, go and volunteer at that nonprofit, like get involved on the ground. So you're seeing like, oh, I'm donating here. This is what's happening with my money. And so it is closer to you. Like there's this um, barrier that's put in place as we outsource our giving. And um, that barrier is in place for a lot of different reasons. But what it essentially does is it just decouples us from that giving and the at best we get a letter in the mail from somebody signed in a different country and you're like i guess that's good i don't know like it just doesn't really hit you in the same way as you see a family who their electricity is being turned off and you go okay like how do we make this work what does this look like yeah Uh, and 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 that's that is what you described life-changing i've experienced that at my end as well. Totally. And it reminds us that philanthropy is not just monetary at all. Um, in fact, I would say that the times that I did just make a monetary donation, it was less meaningful. Like I forgot about it more easily, but the times that I invested time and emotion, um, or skills in some way, those were the life-changing events, uh, for not only for me, but for other people, it really, communicates love and compassion and grace and mercy on a a much, much deeper level that we, that a check, a check could help. Um, But there's so much, there's something so much more beautiful about sharing who you are and sharing your life with somebody instead of just your money. Yeah. Oh, so, so good. I I want to I want to make sure that we have a little bit of time uh, um, before we wrap this up to kind of speak into um, more of the high level side of this work in terms of um, things that you have learned uh, as you have gotten involved with um, more of the on the ground uh, micro philanthropy that we talk about to get people engaged. Um, we've we've talked about some of those principles, but I just wonder if there's something that comes to mind that's like, if I could go back 20 years and tell my my younger self this in terms of giving or in terms of money or in terms like, what would that be? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is the generosity, like we talked about, like just stop judging people's circumstances. You have no idea why they need help. Don't try to know why they need help. Just the the fact is that they need help. That's all that matters. Um, so I would say be much more mindful and, uh, and non-judgmental and empathetic and inclusive uh, to, to people. Um, and then the other is to just say yes. Uh, my grandmother 
had a, a different, my other grandmother, not the crocheting grandmother, but the other grandmother, uh, had a, a famous poem whose last line is, I never have yet felt a twinge of regret for being a little too kind. And that has always, as you can tell, been a, a mantra and a motto for me that's like, you know what? I might, if I, if I pass somebody by or I, I forego an opportunity to, um, create some impact for somebody, um, you know, there, there might be some, maybe like buyer's remorse of like, oh, you know, should I do this or should I not or whatever? Like, I'm going to regret it if I don't, but I will never regret it if I do. Right. So I think that that is, um, that's something that I had to learn again, that circles back to the non-judgment of like, Hey, don't try to figure out if somebody earns charity or earns love. Guess what? (laughs) Love is never earned. Love is just given. So just say yes. If you see a need, just say yes. When you think about, since you are in this uh, habit of giving, putting money aside, you've decided to do this as a family. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you have any projects that are kind of like on the horizon that you're excited about or you're thinking about getting involved with in a like deeper more um uh not impactful but just like in in a way that's uh that is different or um, more intentional than what you are doing right now yeah this is something that i'm actually working on right now is um for about the past year, I've been maxing out my budget every month. I was looking for opportunities to serve. And so I was making sure that I spent every penny that month on philanthropy. And then it was about maybe four months ago that uh, the conversations about the recession started becoming very real. um, And the price of um, heating and electricity was really starting to skyrocket here in New England. And I was like, I, that means that people are really going to be hurting in December and January and February. It's going to be really cold. People aren't going to have heat um, or in order to keep the heat, they're going to be foregoing holidays and, and things like that. So I've been saving the money instead and I'll do say yes to little tiny projects like the gift card that I mentioned and, you know, donations. I'll say yes to little things, but financially I've been saving up because I do think that there's going to be some higher expense needs in the winter. And I don't know exactly what those are going to be yet. I don't know, you know, exactly how that's going to play out or what organizations I might need to work with in order to make that happen. Um, But that's something that I've been thinking about just knowing there is going to be a need and I want to be prepared when that happens. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's really cool. I love the, not only the intention behind that, but also, um, there's this concept of, um, and it's usually like a negative concept, which is like, don't let money burn a hole in your pocket. Um, but when I, what I've noticed with philanthropy is when we put money aside, um, we start to just instinctively create around that money. And so as you're walking through this process, what I'm noticing is you're like, well, I don't know exactly how I'm going to use that, or I don't know what organizations, or I don't know X, Y, Z. All these are questions that you're going to go find out though. Yeah, You're going to go and make those calls or get involved or try and find out what organizations you should work with, or how would you find people in need? And it's because you have this like um, money that's kind of weighing you down a little bit. It's like, mm. I want to do something with this um, in a similar way to sometimes we just have money laying around that we're like, I guess I'll buy something. Right. Um, if we have it earmarked for philanthropy, 
it just almost gives us that um, that reason to start to ask those questions, develop that framework, get involved. And I, I love that about how you are approaching things. That, that's awesome. Yeah, I think having that budget set aside has really been a very good reminder. Like it's been a very good um, excuse or mental permission to be generous because I'm like, well, I got to spend the money, right? It's not like, oh, this is coming out of my pocket and is this best use of my money? And I don't have to go through any of that decision making. It's just like, well, I have to spend this. I have to get rid of it. So I have to be generous, right? So it's really helped me build that habit. Um, But it's amazing to me how often philanthropy feels very selfish because I have so much fun. Like I just look for (laughs) opportunities and I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. You know, like, um, you know, the, I was at my kid's school and saw that there was some blank bulletin boards and that the, all of the administrators were really, really stressed. And so I was like, Hey, can I decorate your bulletin boards for you? Would that be helpful? And they were like, that would be super helpful. Like that is like playtime for me. I uh, love decorating bulletin boards. And I was like, totally, like, absolutely. I would love to do that. So they're seeing it as this great service and they're like, oh, we appreciate you so much. But I'm like, I'm on a ball. Like this is a uh, hobby to me. <laughs> so yeah, I think um, that's been another big revelation and, and big learning over the past couple of years of like, this does not feel like charity. I'm building incredible relationships with people. I'm, I'm having so much more of an experience in my community, not just seeing my community, but I'm integrated into it and I'm building a better future for local citizens. And I'm expressing to people how loved they are and how seen they are and lightening their day. Like, it does not feel like a service or philanthropy. It just feels like I'm living my best life. Wow. Yeah. There is often some weight that is accompanied with those words that you almost like feel like you have to be in this like kind of dark or dreary world around it. And there are really hard things in the world. And there is time where we need to be really serious around the money and the things that we're giving. So that, that happens. And, and we can have space for that. And what I know about you, Laurel, is that you would show up to that in a really powerful way. And it doesn't all have to be that way. And we can make a difference in our community outside of the, um, you know, most dire situations. Like there's, there's a spectrum that we can work on there. Yeah. And you don't always have to have a plan either. I think one of the most, um, meaningful and vulnerable times that I've ever served somebody was when I had no idea what the, what to do. Um, I had just met this woman this, that day, that very day, like an hour before. Um, and then she, uh, unexpectedly and, and accidentally revealed that she had just lost a baby that week, a few days before she had had a late term miscarriage. It was her fifth late term miscarriage. And I, and I was just like, I have no idea what to do. I I have, I don't even know your last name. Like I, I don't know you, but I want you to know that you're, that you're loved and that you're supported in this moment. She had also just moved into my neighborhood just like two months before. So she didn't know anybody locally. She's having this horrible, horrible time. And so it felt really 
uh, vulnerable for me, but I just took her some, like a thermos of hot cider and some blankets and we sat out on her porch and we just cried together and that was it. And I was like, and yeah, I really haven't talked to her much since then, but I was like, in this moment, I don't want you to be alone. And so that was one of those things of, it doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be skills. Like it doesn't have to be planned. It's just a matter of like, how can I communicate love in this moment and say yes to it? I promised you absolute gold if you stuck through and listened to the whole episode. And if you did, if you're hearing these words, you know exactly what I am talking about. Thank you so much to Laurel for spending so much time talking about this subject. It was just one of the highlights of Basement Philanthropy up to this point. Well, team, that's it for me. Let's go out in the world and create good with the money in our pockets today. Talk soon.